guest today is Dr. Lee Jampolsky. Lee is a recognized leader in psychology and he served as a trained psychologist on the medical staff and faculty of respected hospitals and graduate schools throughout the United States. He's the author of seven books, Smile for No Good Reason, Healing the Addictive Personality, Walking Through Walls, The Art of Trust, Listen to Me, Healing Father-Son Relationships, Healing Together, Going from Crisis to Calm During Turbulent Times, and Healing the Addictive Mind. He's currently working on a novel soon to be released. Lee's books have sold hundreds of thousands of copies around the world and have been published in more than a dozen languages. To learn more about Lee's work, please visit his website at www.drleejampolsky.com. Join us as we talk about the 12 steps of attitudinal healing and how they can help support patients on their cancer journey. Let me remind you that Lee is death. Jerry Jampolsky, his dad, used to say Lee rarely, if ever, complained about this or any of his health challenges. Seeing and hearing Lee, you will get the same sentiment. I did. I cannot imagine seeing Lee anything else but pure spirit, perfect, whole and complete. Every time we speak, there is an instant joining of mind. This time we talked about health as a state of mind and the role our intent to either join or separate has on the healing journey and how when the mind no longer sees itself forever in bondage with the body, the mind can be free and at peace even when we're physically sick and may remain so for a long time. During this podcast, Lee and I talk about the importance of taking the time to remember our true nature, which is love, and not let one day pass by without doing this. And we also talked about the quality of our relationships and how they determine the quality of our life. Join us as we naturally open to and step into the power of presence and the intent to join and not find fault in one another. Welcome, everyone. Healing today. Welcome. Thank you. Wonderful to be with you again, as always. Ah. So I'll start by asking you, Lee, just for the listeners uh, who perhaps haven't heard about attitudinal healing. What is attitudinal healing? Well, in some ways, uh, the name uh, defines some of it. it. It's looking at the importance of our the attitudes or the thought systems that we hold in our minds, our belief systems about ourselves and the world, our bodies, and looking at it if... In fact, uh, those attitudes do contribute to our health or our, our lack of it. But attitudinal healing, which was founded by my uh, father, Dr. Jerry Jampolsky, a uh, uh, child psychiatrist many years ago, back in the 70s, I think, uh, now, has reached who knows how many millions of, of people now yeah. uh, across the, the world. And for our purposes, one of the main things about attitudinal healing that uh, I found uh, to be most insightful and most helpful when we're approaching our uh, bodies or diagnosed with a catastrophic illness is that attitudinal healing defines health very differently than we're used to in the medical community. Mm-hmm. And it defines health as inner peace and healing as letting go of fear. Now, think about that for a moment. Mm -hmm. When we have a physical illness, most of us are very fearful, understandably, especially if it's a catastrophic illness where 
death may be uh, one of the outcomes that obviously uh, nobody wants. We lose all sorts of our sense of inner peace. My gosh, when we get that kind of news, it's very difficult to, you know, think about it. So this definition that my father came up with is that health is inner peace and healing is letting go of fear is a very different way of looking at or approaching a a physical illness. But Mm -hmm. what he began to find, and we can talk much more about this today, Mm -hmm. uh, first by working with uh, children, kids that had catastrophic illnesses, which you can imagine how difficult that is for kids and family members and most people's worst nightmare. But he began to notice that when kids were given the opportunity to be in group settings and helping each other, uh, listening, or maybe one kid was, uh, you know, had already gone through chemotherapy and lost, you know, his or her hair. And uh, another kid comes into the the group who, who hasn't gone through that yet. And that the one who has is sort of talking to and helping the other one go through. He began to notice that these kids, all of a sudden, when they were helping each other and listening to each other, that the fear began to vanish. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. And he began to, my dad began to kind of scratch his head. Isn't this interesting? What's going on here? And he really found that when we are helping another person, our level of pain is transformed. Our level of fear is transformed. And one of the things that he later adapted a lot of these principles to attitudinal healing was that there's sort of this amazing thing that happens to our pain when we're giving because we're present. We're very present, focused on listening, being empathetic, And all of a sudden, we don't have that same level of fear. Oh, my gosh. So he began to develop all these different principles. There's 12 principles of attitudinal healing that were originally designed for kids with catastrophic illness. But as time went on, they were applied to many, many different things, not just illness, but uh, how we approach our relationships politically on the political level. Um, But one of the things that For me, with anything we're looking at and saying, you know, what's attitudinal healing or what's cognitive psychology or different things, I kind of think simply in my mind. And I think in terms of what questions is this asking us? Mm -hmm. If we start thinking about, well, what's it asking? What's it having us ponder? Then we sort of get. You're absolutely right. It's not the definition. It's, it's like like the music beyond the notes, exactly. behind the notes. Yeah, yeah. It's much greater. It's it's that that which transcends the actual mm, definition, which which is limiting. Any to define it's the limit, Oscar Wilde, right? So that's what you're touching on, right? And I I, I many many of your listeners don't know this, but I'm going to ask you to speak a tad slower. Uh, I'm yes. deaf and I, I have a captioning system and it it's hard to keep up. <laughs> so, it is incredible to me. You know, given that, uh, I'll apply my uh, 
some principles of attitudinal healing to myself for a moment uh, around that. So I, I was busy in my own practice. Uh, this is prior to losing my hearing to an autoimmune disease in the early 90s. And I was very, uh, you know, had everything that I thought I wanted in life. Everything was going wonderfully. And if you'd asked me, you know, anything you, you have that you don't want, I, would, I was at the top of the world. I yeah. really, uh, felt great about my life. And then I got sick. I had this autoimmune disease, and I, uh, it took my hearing. And all of a sudden, uh, my world changed. I, you know, a, a psychologist's ears are kind of like a piano player's hands. You know what? Oh, I, I can't even I, imagine. I thought, I can't that, even you know, imagine. everything was over. My livelihood uh, ended. Uh, it was unsure of what the fate of my future was health-wise. Uh, yeah. I had two young daughters at the time, uh, nine months and two years, I think, something like that. And, uh, you know, it was really a, a you know dark moment for me uh, in my life. And over time, uh, a few things uh, happened mm -hmm. where... I was able to look and utilize these principles of attitudinal healing in a way that really began to make a shift for me and my my uh, approach to you know my health and and since that time I've had other uh, issues including uh, two prostate surgeries so I'm very familiar with the yes. um, what happens with you know when those type of things come down the the pike. But yeah, one of the yeah. things that I began to notice was that when we have something that we see as a curse, it's a horrible thing, and we're able to start at least faintly to see some of the gifts that are within that, something in our mind begins to shift. Our attitude begins to shift to where maybe there's a different way of looking at this. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some purpose in all of this beyond just being a bad thing. And for me, you know, if you asked me what hearing was back then, I would say, well, <laughs> that's kind of a dumb question. You hear with your ears. It's a biological thing. Your brain is able to perceive things. Mm -hmm. But if you ask me what hearing is now, I describe it in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. um, words are one very small portion of what mm -hmm. hearing is. And to me, it's just so much that we can do with our heart. And really, the attitudinal healing believes that the essence of our beings is love. Mm -hmm. And when I begin to really take hold of that and practice it, that the essence of my being is love. Well, then there's opened up a huge world for me about what hearing is, okay? And that I could live a life beyond my fear of mm -hmm. how was I gonna make a living? What was my, how would I hear my kids call from the other room? How would I communicate with people who, you know, my, you know, help people? And as I began to see that the purpose of all communication, 
not some, but all communication, the real purpose is joining. The real purpose is sharing our heart, sharing love. The real purpose is setting a goal for living right now where we're focused on unconditional love. The real purpose is when I see you as my teacher, I see everybody as my teacher. Then I see my disease as my teacher. Then, wow, the whole world begins to change. And I'm able to find happiness again. So if you ask me today, you know, would I trade in, you know, can I, if I could go back and erase my deafness and my, all the different things I went through and have it never have happened, I would say no way. It's taught me a tremendous amount. And therein lies the beauty of attitudinal healing. People who become involved in the different aspects of attitudinal healing begin to slowly see the beautiful gifts that are there for them. Your comment really drew my attention on the many times I was looking without seeing. I was hearing without listening. So what a beautiful comment you made. And it makes for a wonderful reflection for all of us. How many times do we look and we think we see, but do we really? What do we, are we joining? Is that jo- are we joining when when engaging in that act? The same with hearing. So any communicate, any any perception of the senses. Senses Absolutely. are there to help us join. Wow! Well, reflect, ponder on that for a while. So the impetus there then was to how do we teach this? How do we mm, encourage people? And it, it all started with children to to do this more, to really truly join in every moment. Yes, it is, and I'll uh, I'll add a few other things to the approach of attitudinal healing in that that although my father and later many many other people who are practitioners of attitudinal healing certainly are interested in the questions of how do we help other people with attitudinal healing. The fundamental question is, how do we help ourselves? Everybody is there for the same purpose. My father, although he was a professor at Stanford University and UCSF and, you know, very, very uh, uh, accomplished man, he had everybody in attitudinal healing that learned to through you know learned wanted to bring attitudinal healing to other people. He asked that everybody leave their degrees at the door. Everybody leave anything that would separate them and put them in a sort of a hierarchical of you know I'm up here and you're coming for me to fix you. No 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 no. We are equal people coming in. Mm. So the beautiful thing is that people join in a way that is quite remarkable. And that they're looking, when I say they, I'm talking about people who are coming in there their first day or people who've been practicing attitudinal healing for a very long time. They're there essentially to help remove their self-imposed blocks to love. They're there to learn who they really are. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They're there to improve their communication through that love. They're there in essence to forgive. Yeah. Now, this is something we don't hear much in medicine or psychology, the word forgiveness. And yet, what oftentimes, and we have found this, there's been many studies uh, done, including at Stanford, about the power of forgiveness and the power of lack of forgiveness in our life that contributes to our our physical health deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And w- mm-hmm. what this is, is mm-hmm. that my father tried to make things, my father was, unlike many people who are writing, you know, coming up with a, a new perspective or a new theory that can be very wordy and, mm-hmm. and you know, you need a, a arm full of degrees to really understand. My father, he, he, if, if he couldn't say things in a way that a first grader could understand them, he didn't say them. <laughs> and it, there is an art to that. Oh, there is. There <laughs> <is no. laughs> and uh, you mentioned when we were, before we started the interview about uh, uh, a little book he wrote uh, called Love is Letting Go of Fear. Yeah, yeah. Now I think is, I don't know, you know, five, 10 million people have read Easy. that book. Oh, yeah. And it's a small little book. Little tiny book and so simple. Right and so powerful. Yes, and it's basically one of the main tenets in that is, and this is the main piece of uh, attitudinal healing, is we ask ourselves the question: Is it possible for me to heal my painful thoughts and attitudes about the past? Okay. So Mm -hmm. when we think about a physical, what keeps us stuck in illness? This is what illness is. Exactly. My attitudes and thoughts about the past, because I wanted to make it better, and I want to change it, and I want to mold it, and I want to massage it, and I I wanted to put I want to put lipstick on it <laughs> for it to look pretty. Right. It's uh, and when we you know addressing the population that you work with, you know. Uh, Men who come up with a diagnosis of prostate cancer or other types of cancer. All types, yes, yes. The, one might not think about at first glance that our painful thoughts and attitudes about the past having anything at all to do with that present state of illness, or that that our painful thoughts about the past, our lack of forgiveness and our anger and all of that has anything to do with our likelihood or our capacity to heal from that. Okay. Now, you know me, maybe, maybe some of your listeners don't, so I'll go into it. I'm not a sort of woo-woo, airy-fairy sort of psychologist. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm very pragmatic. Yes. When I'm talking about... I attest to that. When I'm talking about this stuff or I use the words like love and forgiveness, and attitude. This is well-documented, well-researched material that we see that the, the, for example, how our painful thoughts and attitudes about the past cause a high level of stress, which causes disease, which inhibits our ability to heal. All of it goes together. 
So when we're talking about this, it's very pragmatic and very worthwhile. And uh, unfortunately, also very overlooked. Mm -hmm. The ability to stay in the present moment, the ability to um, understand the role that we play in perpetuating isolation, loneliness, despair, that cannot be overemphasized. Tell me a little bit about, so this is a very interesting story, just, uh, you know, how, how your dad decided by working with children, cancer patients, children in particular. So imagine you get a cancer diagnosis, at least, you know, you're anywhere, you know, over 16 or, or, or older, you can more or less make a little bit more sense of it. But when you're young, when you're that young, you know, and, and somebody tells you that you've got an illness that could potentially kill, kill you or, or is going to kill you, uh, uh, you know, how do you, where do you go from there? You know, what do you do with that? You know, what do you do with that when your parents look at you, when your siblings look at you, when your neighbor looks at you? So your dad works with this very, very vulnerable population. And he's also a student of the course by then. He has met personally Helen Schachman, the scriber of the course, and, and Bill Thetford. Um, he's a practitioner of the course. He knows those principles and knows about what the course, the course has to say about um, our demonstrations and how we teach at all times. There is no choice in whether or not we teach. The question is, what do we want to learn? And the course is to teach, is to demonstrate. And so he takes that very personally. Um, he realizes the only way to truly do that is to get past uh, past roles, past identities. Like you said, leave your shoes, your professor's shoes or your practitioner's shoes, your clinician's shoes at the door, please. Enter in the sacred space of, of we're all so much more like than different. And uh, let's talk about... Uh, how we can join with one another by truly sensing, by, by sensing and being that who we are, pure ultimate love with one another. Can we do that? Let's practice that. Let's see if we can demonstrate one another that. And of course, children have that capacity because they're joyful. They're playful. They like to play. They love love. Right. And my father's approach, again, was... Not so much what do all the smarty pants adults have to teach the kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did all the kids have to teach the smarty pants adults? <laughs> uh -huh, and, uh -huh. and part of there's, but just by the nature that the kids weren't trying to figure it out so much. You know, we get a diagnosis and the wheels start turning, you know, as adults, you know, and well said. so much up totally. in our heads yes. all the time about what does this mean? How's this yeah. going to happen? Should, yeah. How many, you know, one doctor saying one thing, the other saying another. I don't know. What to, you know, so much, mm -hmm. such heaviness that we're carrying that we lose the most important questions to ask. Right. And. He was finding that the the kids were able to address things that most doctors and most people with diagnosis never even mentioned. For example, death. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Most physicians, most psychologists are not all that comfortable with the subject of death and dying. Absolutely. They avoid it like the elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if if they bring it up or there's discussion of it, it usually has to do with how they're going to not let it come. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. How we're going to ditch it. Yes. And what he noticed with the the kids is that they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And there was they they didn't have the same level of a fear, if you will, of it. And the he began to ask himself why that might be. Mm-hmm. Okay? And did that transfer to us adults? Could it be? And what he, and this is actually there's 12 principles of attitudinal healing, and this is actually principle number 11. So in the actual principles he discusses discusses death i have a little book uh that i wrote many years ago for my father's 75th birthday uh uh dad would have been 100 or no uh, 97 this year i think uh he died two years ago uh two years ago this christmas but uh one of the principles that i talk about in, in that book is this one and it, it principle number 11 is since love is eternal, death need not be viewed as fearful. Mm-hmm. So what he was finding these kids doing was essentially, as you say, had a larger capacity than we do to experience that joy, that lovingness even when they knew they had this disease or that, you know, and uh, so sometimes in groups or many, many times in the attitudinal healing groups with these kids, kids die. Yeah. You know, it it wasn't swept under the rug. It wasn't uh, denied, but it, it also wasn't, approached as taboo or fearful Mm -hmm. so the kids would talk openly about this Mm -hmm. and uh something that's very very important that most of the time us adults don't feel comfortable doing that even even with or especially with our loved ones and family members you know, you are you, as you were describing this. I had a, a physical model, an image in my mind that was developing of uh, you and me being on on a carpet and playing with a train. You know, the choo choo trains. Remember, we had them when we were little. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I imagined us talking. You telling me, you know, love is eternal. Therefore, fear should not be. Death should not be feared. And I imagine myself pushing the the choo choo train and saying, "Yep." Since, you know, death is not real, that I don't have to worry about it. And you keep on. Right, exactly. And you keep on playing and you stay soft and you stay uh, gentle and you you stay lighthearted and you uh, you take in what's what's true and it becomes true. Therefore, it's it's really puzzling to me, Lee, that a lot of the times in our hearts, in, throughout our lives, um, that we we are so much faster 
at embracing what's not true. And so more, so much more um, uncomfortable, say, at, at doing the opposite of, of embracing what is true. It is true that we are eternal. It is true that you and I are one. It is true that is there, there's only love. But because perhaps because it's not socially or it may, it may look like quackery, it may look like new agey, it may look like, you know, something being phony. Uh, we, we don't tend to engage in this practice very often. And, and, and I've, I've tried, uh, even now I was, you know, in my role as a scientist, <laughs> I, I go to departmental meetings and I, I encourage my, my colleagues, you know, may, may, may I suggest that we don't shy away um, from really expressing an opinion with regards to whatever the discussion is uh, th- that, that represents how we really feel rather than, you know, let's be structured about this. Let's be, you know, systematic. Let's be, uh, you know, uh, let's adopt the old way of thinking. How, how do you really, you know, think or feel about this? You know, we're going to, we're going to hire somebody new in the department. You know, our world is going through an environmental crisis. Shall we look at hiring somebody that maybe can answer some of those questions or find solutions or, or, or no, we're not going to look there because that's not part of the strategic plan. But, you know, so, so at one point we, we, we take that leap in faith and we say uh, what we really feel, what we really think, which when that door opens, uh, it will represent love in one shape, form or another. It cannot be otherwise. You're beautifully summating many of the principles of attitudinal healing when essentially and forgive me for paraphrasing your beauty of what you said but what you're what i hear you saying is that in the world there is not much authenticity today there's a lot of living in ways that we are not either in touch with our true self or oftentimes as though it, uh, we're afraid of that true self. When we don't shy away from our authenticity, we start living a life that's much more alive, even if we might die. Okay. Now, I'm certainly not saying that everybody who gets cancer is going to die. Obviously, they're not, and we want people to live, and we want, you know, medicine yeah. does a, a whole lot of great stuff. Yeah, yeah. But what if, yeah. instead of fearing it, we learn to learn, we, we live to learn from wherever we are mm-hmm. by coming in to our authentic self and finding our gift, if you will. Now, I'm somewhat of a movie buff, though I have a horrible memory for remembering the movies, but this scene I remember. So, and it illustrates this somewhat, and I think a lot of people have seen this uh, movie, the, the Titanic, from many years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a scene in that movie where the Titanic is going down, 
Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's not, is this happening? It's, yeah, this it's happening. happening. Yeah. Yeah. And the, we see on the ship's deck a variety, many different people dealing with this news mm-hmm. is that the ship is going down. It's, you know, it's already tilting and it's going into the water. And we see people dealing with this in many, many different ways. We see, for example, grown men pushing women and children out of the way to get into a lifeboat full of fear. Yeah. Okay. Paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Disconnected with helping anybody, only fear. Yeah. We see some people throwing themselves irrationally overboard into the icy waters, thinking that somehow that's going to save them. We see people standing frozen in fear, not really being able to do anything. And then we see the musicians. They look at each other. They don't say a word. They begin to play. Yes. In the moment that they knew was the end of their lives, they chose to give their authentic gift. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a moment. So all of these different approaches to the bad news, quote unquote, of death. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I like to look at this and go, you know what? I can be the musicians. You can be the musicians. We all can be the musician mm-hmm. with any quote unquote bad news. Bad news is just an opportunity to give our gift. That's all it is. Okay. Oh my. So then, whatever is happening, a diagnosis, good news, bad news about it canceled appointments, whatever the challenge is at the time. Don't identify with those challenges. Identify with what you can bring to the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful shift in the way yeah. that we think. Okay? I, I remember principle 10 of attitudinal healing is about this, and it says, we can focus on the whole of life rather than the fragments. Mm. The whole of life mm. is your authentic self, the gift, the experience of love. The fragments of life are all the little crap, all the small stuff that's happening all of the time. Yeah. We only focus on the fragments, you're going to feel not very good. It's true. Okay? Focus on the whole you're the musicians giving your gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very tempted to ask you if you may list the principles of attitudinal healing for our listeners. Sure. There, there are 12 principles. Okay. And, uh, and I'll just briefly describe them uh, as we, we go through. Okay? Thank you. Now, remember, these all came from oversimplifying here, but these all came from asking, is there a better way to go through life? Is there 
a way that we can approach things that we might see as bad news, challenges, health, all of that, in a way that leads us to being richer people, richer meaning more more engaged in our love, more authentic, more caring, uh, essentially, as the saying goes, to decide rather than becoming bitter, we become better. Mm. And the that's where these were born from. Okay. So the first one is the what I, I mentioned earlier, and that's the essence of our being as love. It it's really identifying with that's who we are. It's we're not our disease, we're not our ailing body, we're not our pain. We have our pain that's going on, but it's not our essence. Our essence is kept safe beyond that. It's like Rumi used to say, I'm not this hair, I'm not this skin, I'm the spirit that lives within. Exactly. A a psychologist many years ago by the name of uh, Roberto Assagioli, he went down a little bit of a wrong path later in his life, but his early work was good. (laughs) And uh, One of the things that I liked with him was uh, something Mm -hmm. called identification, disidentification. Mm-hmm. So it's important when you're facing a a a, a challenge like a diagnosis of cancer. It's important not to deny it or push it away or you know go you know I'm only love. I don't want to look at all of this. Okay, it's not happening. That's not what attitudinal healing is doing. He was taught that first we identify with something, and then we disidentify it. Very important. So I have pain, but I'm not my pain. I have an ailing body, but I'm not my ailing body. And then that opens the door to say, well, what am I then? That's where we begin to see that authentic self that we no longer need to shy away from, that we're loved. So principle number two is... I also mentioned is health is inner peace and healing is letting go of fear. Mm. Again, it's the very different way of defining health. Notice you don't see there a differentiation between mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, cognitive health, just health. Because we're talking again about that whole self. So health is inner peace. It doesn't matter what's going on. And how we get, how we heal is through letting go of fear. Not Mm -hmm. denying the fear, not pushing it away, seeing it, letting it go. Right. It's like that little metaphor that we're playing with the choo-choo trains and you just tell me, you know, uh, love is eternal. We are love. And I'm pushing the train. I'm saying, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be, you know, death. There's no death. Really, there's only love, which is eternal. Okay. I'm pushing the train and I'm in a state of, you know, because I believe you because I trust you um, uh, and I'm I'm lighthearted about it. I'm taking in the truth, and I'm feeling the truth. I'm 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 experiencing that truth in a state of joy, in a state of non-attachment. Exactly. Now, 
everything you said and what uh, so mindfulness training is becoming very uh, popular. popular and very yeah. utilized and uh, it, mindfulness training is very consistent with the teachings of attitudinal healing so for example with the second one of uh, healing is letting go of fear it, mindfulness brings us to the moment of, of watching that that fearful state and seeing slowly that that's an impermanent state. Mm-hmm. It passes, mm-hmm. but we don't attach ourselves to it. It's just bringing it there. And I won't go too much into mindfulness yeah, other yeah. than saying it's very yeah. consistent with, like when you're describing being with the train, you're in the moment, you're mindful, you're very there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, All my attention and my energy is in that moment. It's right. not in the past. It's not in the future. So going back for a moment and describing number three of attitudinal healing is one of the things that my father began to notice greatly in the groups of kids is that there was no division between giving and receiving. Mm, they I were love that. They, they were essentially the same. So yeah. if one kid was giving to the other kid, that kid was also receiving. If one kid was receiving, so it was just very much in the moment. So uh, that's uh, why you and I are so joyful right now because well, we're exactly. giving and taking at the same time. No, seriously, isn't it? Giving, we're having a blast. When we get that giving and receiving are the same, we are forever, forever wealthy. We're there in the moment the the you know it, it sometimes if I have to you know think or somebody asks me to de- describe my entire spiritual path and where where I've come in my my life through all that uh i I've done, it would be simply that this that it, it's been a process over time of discovering that giving and receiving are one in truth and that that's where my joy comes from. That's if I'm ever having a bummer of a day or or not having good news, if I go back to that one truth right there in front of me is an immediate solution where I can feel happy and joyful. Notice I'm not saying that that the situation changes. It may or may not, but internally, I find that, you know, if we, we, the one thing that we can be pretty, I think the one thing that we can all agree on is there's plenty of people in need of love. Yep. So <laughs> there's plenty of opportunity. Just like me. Yes. And, and me. And, you know, what's the one thing that we all need and want to, you know. And it's so ironic. It's so ironic that the one thing that we want most, we push most away. Fear is a weird thing. It is a weird thing. So, you know, know, we we push it away because we think we're not deserving. We Mm -hmm. push it away from other people because we haven't forgiven. And we think that, you know, withholding love is somehow going to punish them in a way that will either make them suffer or make them better people, all of which are equally irrational things to think of. So the, uh, you know, when, when we come into a place like attitudinal healing group and we're we're focusing on letting go of our fear we're focusing on you know 
really, really getting that our essence of our being is love. And we enter the room with one goal, that giving and receiving are one in truth. Wow. Something something quite magical. Begins. Imagine if all of us were to start our day that way, Lee. Imagine, just imagine. I'm back to oh. the Beatles. Imagine that. You wake up in the morning with that intent. So let's me like, you, we will do that. Let it begin with us. Okay. 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 And I, I think we probably both do that already, but let's even emphasize it even more. And, you know, here's how most people sleep. Huh. They, they go to bed and they take their garbage can of their mind, all the stuff they're upset about, and they empty it into their bed. Then they crawl in and they get all it all over them. And then they wake up in the morning and they stuff it all back in their head. That's if they slept, you know. And yeah, they, that, that stuff has to be maintained. You have to understand. So can I sleep at night if I have to maintain that? Say it again. That stuff, garbage thinking, has to be maintained. So how I can't sleep at night because I have to maintain it. Well, exactly. <laughs> So this leads directly into number four, yeah. and that's we can let go of the past and of the future. Mm -hmm. okay? This is the core of mindfulness. Yeah, okay? It's the goal of really most meditation. It's the, if we really think about uh, uh, where our happiness comes from, okay? it's in the moment. Okay. I, a while back, I decided that I was going to make a new word. Oh. And it was based on the fact that we have a word for looking back. It's called hindsight. Mm -hmm. I had enough hindsight, I would have done this, that, or the other thing. Mm -hmm. We have a word for looking forward. If I had foresight, if I have good foresight and I plan and I think about it, I'll avoid any pain in the future. Oh. Okay? But we don't have a, a, a word for here. So mm -hmm. I like the word now sight. Now sight. Since we have hindsight and foresight, let's bring on a new one called now sight. And now sight's where my happiness is. Now mm -hmm. sight's where my healing is. Now sight's where I get to be with you right now and just love you. I know. Now sight is I'm thinking, you know, actually, Lee, I have a choo-choo train. It's made of wood. <laughs> And it's in Alzena storage room. You know, I've been keeping that choo-choo train. I don't know why. I don't want to get rid of it. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually literally imagining that the two of us are sitting down as grown-up adults with a choo-choo train. And we talk. This is when healing happens, where we take whatever idea comes and it gets automatically instantly healed. Because you and I, you remind me that is not to be given any power. That is just right. not true. And I'm going to move that train. And I'm going to read with, with, with a clear understanding that it is not true. It, is, it isn't true. I'm not going to, therefore, spend any more time on anything that is not true. You said something that if, if we all did, we would be very good. You said, I'm not going to spend any more time with what's not true. Yeah. Okay. Very, very important. Okay. If the essence of our being is love, which I believe that it is, 
anytime we're spending time with what's not that, we're spending time with what's not true. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we take the the last few principles, health is inner peace, healing is letting go of fear, giving and receiving are one in truth. Mm -hmm. We can let go of the past and the future. That leads us to what my father came up with, number five, which is a summation of those. And that is that now is the only time there is, and each instant is forgiving. Okay? Beautiful. Now is the only time there is, right now. Mm -hmm. And what this time is, which is the only time there is, is forgiving makes life very, very simple. Mm -hmm. And very joyful. Notice it doesn't say that tomorrow is the only time there is, and every minute is for me to plan and judge. It doesn't say yesterday is all that's real, so you should feel guilty or have resentment every moment. Mm. Those are the things that we do our mind does what attitudinal healing helps us with is now is the only time there is and each instant is forgiving Mm. now this lays the groundwork for number six now by the way these don't have to be done in any succession particularly order Uh uh-huh they're principles not steps yeah yeah they're all one one whole but and are those point. are those principles also part of his book, Love is Letting Go of Fear? Are the two connected in some way? Because he also has certain uh, principles in the Love is Letting Go of, of Fear. Yes, the, the principles of attitudinal healing are not so much in Love is Letting Go of, like listed so much like this, but all of the principles are there. It's a, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So... If we then kind of think about, well, okay, well, what does this mean about my relationship with myself? What does it mean? What's my purpose here? Like, if I'm in a relationship that's troubled, what what's the, the solution? Oh, and by the way, how do I make up? How do I create these troubled relationships that happen? What's the source of conflict? All of those are pretty important questions. And he summates it in one set, one sentence. We can learn to love ourselves and others by forgiving rather than judging. Okay. Mm. So at this juncture, if somebody's listening to this who has cancer, they'd be like going, seriously, what's this have to do with my cancer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me tell you, I speak from experience with health challenges my way out was learning to love myself Mm -hmm. my way through my life has been to be able to love other people how i've done that is by forgiving myself others god and feeling in that moment the true nature of myself which is love How I've gotten myself in more trouble than I care to go into is by judging myself, by being critical of others, by being harsh 
by not listening. Me too. Okay. Me too. The Me too. Principle Me too. six is all about knowing mm-hmm. that if you're in some sort of a challenge, you can learn in that challenge to love yourself and others. Mm-hmm. And you will do that through learning to forgive rather than judge. And if you think this has nothing to do with your physical healing as well, think again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot of times when people have a diagnosis and they start thinking about their relationships, what they feel is tremendous guilt. Yeah, you're right. I should have done this. I wasn't a very good father. My mm-hmm husband i didn't treat him well or he treated me horrible i haven't forgiven him my parents were horrible people and i haven't forgiven them i'm carrying resentment for it those things impede our healing yeah i again you're speaking and you're taking me back down the history lane and i remember a time in my life where things were going really uh, bad for me was really really difficult i was going through a horrible divorce very painful um really tough and uh was agonizing in every possible way and i didn't want my daughter to constantly see a a, a mother that is going through this um because um i happen to love love and joy and i remember um when the going got really really tough um I changed my mind. I changed my mind, and I, I instead uh, have decided to be who I be, be kind, be loving, give to others. Exactly the principles that you enumerated up to this point: giving is receiving. <laughs> um, be forgiving. Be joyful. Be in the moment. Be kind. Be creative. Be generous. And it's funny. My, okay, my circumstances for quite a while after that didn't particularly change, but boy, didn't I feel better. Didn't I feel better? And now my daughter at 23 almost, she tells me, mommy, I know we went through a lot when I was little, but because you were so happy, mommy, we were playing and mommy, we were laughing and mommy, we were kissing and having a blast full time. It didn't really bother me that much. <laughs> you know? And again, you beautifully submate the, 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 I swear we didn't plan this, right? So <laughs> no, we didn't plan any of it. <laughs> beautifully summate the, the, the next principle, which what you're talking about is when you start looking for love in other people and in yourself, you find it. And it's a different life that is created than when you spend all of your time being a fault finder. Looking for what's wrong or the the criticisms and everything, yeah. we've all had the the experience uh, of something like uh, you're thinking about getting a, a a new car and you're looking at red Volkswagens. Yeah, and yeah. All of a sudden, you start noticing red Volkswagens on the road. <laughs> you never notice. My God, there's a lot of red Volkswagen or whatever the car is, right? It's true. It's true. And it's because you indirectly told your mind to look for these things. So we have these minds that are, are we can either, they're going to follow what we're looking for. We yeah. just have to make it conscious. 
So true. So if you have a disease or if you have a, a diagnosis of a chronic illness and you're really thinking, you're really afraid about, about dying or you're afraid about the pain that's coming your way, you're going to be directing your mind to find things that reinforce that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So principle number seven is we can become love finders rather than fault finders. Ooh. Okay. Now, if we go back to the original groups of these kids, which we could also go to groups of adults practicing attitudinal healing, you find people in there that look just like your face right now. A beautiful smile that's radiating. Is their situation beautiful? I mean, is it like, oh boy, I, I this is the best news ever. I have probably you know, I have cancer. Of course not. But you walk in there and you notice something quite remarkably different. Wow. Back in the 80s, I had the opportunity to be in uh uh, India and Mother Teresa's missions of charity. And wow. when I first was there, I was thinking uh, it was going to be the most depressing place that I've ever been. You know, people being taken off the streets to die with dignity or dealing with orphans and people who died or, it, you know, it just my mind was. And I walked in there and there was a feeling of love, of deep respect and care. Were, were people in pain or having situations that were obviously not what we would want? Yes. But the sisters, with their attitude and their kindness and their gentility, created an environment that was radiantly beautiful amidst the despair. Again, going back to the Titanic example, they were playing their music. Okay. We all can do that. So the next principle goes on that. And it's number eight is we can choose and direct ourselves to be peaceful inside, Mm. regardless of what is happening outside outside wow yeah think about that yes. for a moment mm-hmm. okay. yeah we can choose our to be peaceful inside regardless of what is happening outside mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. as you know and other people may uh, a couple of my my books are uh, in the field of addiction and the i I define addiction differently than most. And that's really whenever we're looking for happiness outside of ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for an addictive pursuit. Mm-hmm. Okay? So in some ways, this principle of attitudinal healing is taking kind of the the, the falsity and kind of pulling the rug out from, from under it so we can see that when we're looking for happiness outside of ourselves, and by the way, sometimes outside of ourselves is our this shell we walk around in, our body. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. You know, it, I'm talk when I talk about within, I'm talking about our consciousness. Right. 
So if we're hanging our hat of happiness on having a, a healthy body that never gets old and has pain, good luck with that. <laughs> right? So it's important whether we're facing age and illness, an accident, mm. to remember that we can choose to direct ourselves to happiness, to peace inside. And when I say be peaceful and happy, be happy, I'm really using them interchangeable, I'm not talking about transient happiness. You know, uh, again, you remind me of a technique that has worked really well for me in my life. And now that I'm past 50, I don't, you know, it's okay. People can laugh at me if they want to laugh at me. I really don't care. So I'm going to share it. <laughs> but one of the things that I do, and I used to do all throughout my life that I'm not ashamed of, is um, if, if the going is really tough and um, I really want to remind myself about who I am and, and uh, be the love that I feel inside, I would uh, I would literally start caressing myself and say, actually, you're okay. You really are okay. You know, I really like what you did the other day. That was so nice. You're a good person. You're a really good person. You're a good person. And I would talk like this and I want to tell you, even as I'm explaining this to you, I'm feeling the warmth in my heart is opening and I'm saying, yeah, actually, you know what? This is good. I can feel the love within. I'm not afraid. I'm back to my center. I know it's not mindful thinking. It's not meditation necessarily, but it does the trick like magic for me. I think that is not only wonderful, it's essential. And Whatever ways we find that allow ourselves to love ourselves, okay, whether they look silly to other people or not, okay. And if I if I ever make it to fifty, I'll let you know. No. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. So, one of the things that that is just a lovely uh, exercise. Actually, a, a dear friend reminded me of this the other day, uh, is whether you're waking up or going to sleep or having a hard time with something, to take the time to caress your own heart, mm -hmm. both hands, and to close your eyes and mm -hmm. just breathe love into your heart just imagine all that love going in and you can bring you know words to it you know of i'm allowing love to enter or i'm loving myself gently mm. all of that and then as after we do that we can also include other people and slowly open our hands and imagine the love radiating out to other people so there's all sorts of little tools that we can use, whether it's caressing ourselves, mm -hmm. loving through our heart, that remind us. Because if we don't do the, so which is sillier? Okay, caressing, exactly. Caressing ourselves or or berating ourselves every day. Right. But I can't believe I did that again. I'm such an idiot. Okay, because that's what 
our ego, left to our own, people are used to seeing that or hearing it. So that's what people see as normal. That's toxic. That kills us. That I keeps agree. us in the disease. I agree. I right? agree. So, I agree. so yeah. it's great to do things that other people might go, is that lady caressing herself? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, she's a what? She's a scientist? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, I I don't know. Am I getting wiser? I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. Exactly. And you know, I try and remind people in kind-hearted ways, and I use a lot of humor doing it too. But yeah, you know, what, what most people call normal is insane. And I totally, totally. It's and we have come to accept insane. it without even questioning it, without even blinking anymore. You know, uh, I mean, was, sometimes we get stuck at work in meetings that last like leave for three, four hours and we're all sitting down and I'm, you know, I'm hearing colleagues telling me I almost had a heart attack or I thought, you know, my heart is going to stop. I'm, you know, I'm so stressed. Uh, am I going to have a stroke? And I'm, you know, on occasion I tell everybody, may we please get up? And I start, you know, opening my arms and I move my arms in venue. I do a little bit of Qigong and so on. And you can tell they love it, but they have to, there has to be some sarcasm. There has to be some put down. There has to be some, this thing, what's happening because it's not appropriate. It's not the rule we're supposed to sit down for five hours and not get up and not stretch and not drink water and uh, not move. (laughs) It's insanity. It's insane. I'll use that as a segue to move to the the next one I want to address. The, the, by the way, nine, 10 and 11 principles we've already talked about. One is we're students and teachers to each other. Another is we can focus on the whole of life rather than the fragments. Mm-hmm. And another is since love is eternal, death need not be viewed as fearful. But I want to go to number 12 because for me, you know, in my own career, I've developed something that I think we discussed one of the other times called inspirational psychology. And yeah. inspirational psychology really holds attitudinal healing and the principles within it as well. In fact, I, I'm thinking about connecting them even more but uh the one of the things about attitudinal healing of course in miracles some other uh spiritual traditions and in my own work of uh inspirational psychology that i find to be very very meaningful again is is to somewhat be make things very simple now, when I was in graduate school, and I'm sure you were the same, is there we we learn about all sorts of thought systems, emotions, cognitions, uh, and I'm not saying that that is necessarily not useful, but it's way over complex for my purposes, and I believe something else to be true. And this is making it very simple that there's really only two emotions. That's right, only two. All of the others stem from that. Yeah. One is love and one is fear. When we pause and we think about, well, what stems from love? Compassion, kindness, gentility, understanding, empathy. When we think about the other, fear, what comes from it? 
anger, attack, judgment, anxiety, regret, adversity, criticizing, mm-hmm. guilt. Mm-hmm. So when we view things as there's really only two emotions, it becomes easier for us, especially during challenges, to ask, am I coming from love or am I coming from fear? Mm -hmm. Then we kind of know which direction we want to go. To carry this one step further and talk about other people's behavior, which is a national pastime. (laughs) Everybody likes to talk about other people's behavior, not so much their own. So (laughs) this lack of responsibility and constant projection of criticism and wrongdoing is is joking aside, epidemic and and causing a great great deal of division and distrust in our world and within ourselves. So, I like to think about relationships as really dependent on how I am perceiving you. Mm. Notice I didn't say how you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's how How am I perceiving perceiving you? you. Because it's a process within here. It's all perception. Yeah. We all, if I staged a, robbery and then I oh, and I interviewed oh, all of, I interviewed everybody we're going to get a whole lot of different descriptions and then yeah. if I went to, to talk about motivation and I said well what do you think motivated this person mm-hmm. we would get well he was just a horrible person that's why or oh no 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 she's lived a very difficult life she was having a difficult time she had to feed her kids we would have all sorts of different perceptions right, about yeah. motivation So I really like to say and emphasize that when we're coming up against a disease or we're having other challenges with with other people, it's our perception of the situation that is going to either lead to peace or fear. So number 12 then embodies all of this. And it's basically saying, I'll say the principle in a minute, but it's Mm -hmm. basically saying that there's really only two forms of communication. Mm -hmm. One is making a call for love, and the other is expressing love. Expressing love is always a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Calls for love are typically pretty darn ugly. Mm -hmm. Very few people, how, how many times has anybody come up to you and said, you know, I really... I, I'm feeling a lack of love today. I would really like to have to feel loved by you. We don't hear that. <laughs> no. But no. you want to know something? Every time somebody attacks you, says something harsh, is carrying on their guilt, is having a bad day, they're making a call for love. Yeah. Yeah. And we just don't usually see it that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. number 12 is we can always perceive others as either loving or fearful and giving a call of help for love. Either people are being loving or fearful. They're either giving a call 
or a help for love, or they're expressing love. Okay? There, there's no other thing you need to know ever. And now our egos will argue with that. But mm -hmm. what about somebody? What about war? What about Hitler? What about all, you know, I'm not saying we don't have boundaries. I'm not saying we don't put ourselves, you know, that we yeah. go ahead and put ourselves in harm way. I'm not saying if you're in an abusive relationship, just go home and love the abuser and everything will be fine. Yeah. But I am saying that at its core, okay, you know, the, the, in essence, you know, there's an old saying that, uh, you know, not not with like if you withhold forgiveness from somebody, it's like swallowing poison and expecting the other person somebody to else to die. Hurt, yes, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lack of forgiveness hurts us. You know, carrying resentment yeah. hurts us. Yeah. So, in the years that uh, you've known your father and the work that he's done. Has he continued his work with cancer patients or has his work with cancer patient has been done primarily at the start of his uh, attitudinal healing career, if we may call it that? My father em embodied trust in his, his work to grow in directions on its own. Mm -hmm. So unlike most situations or most things, he, he didn't control anything. Mm -hmm. He trusted that when people receive training and attitudinal healing, uh, uh, facilitator training, that they would listen to their own wisdom and reach out in ways to uh, whatever group that they or audience that they felt guided to do. Mm -hmm. So through that wisdom, attitudinal healing grew, uh, you know, over the decades into reaching uh relationships, universities, medical schools, uh, dealing with uh, war-torn uh, parts of the, the world, uh, uh, non-violence training, racial, uh, healing racial tension. Uh, many, many people took it in many, many di different directions. Through that, uh, some of the emphasis went away from dealing with cancer patients and dealing with uh, many different things. Now, it's curious that you asked that question because uh, I, I think, uh, for, for example, what we're doing today is an important work, an important beginning and to sort of re reseed, if you will, <laughs> some of the... Uh, uh, original work about attitudinal healing, not that, it, and I don't think that takes away at all from any of the more progressive parts that uh, it has grown into, uh, but there's so much uh, wisdom and beauty and in, in, uh, just even in my own life, as I, I described, you know, it, it served me very, very well in uh, getting through my own uh, challenges with with health issues. So, uh, the it's not the the you know the sole thing anymore, but I think it it, it continues to be one area that uh, is calling out to be revisited. So I, I'm grateful for you to you know see that uh, importance with 
uh, the population that that you're working with. Yes, and I I don't know why, but I think our work is just beginning. Lee, I think somehow um, we are going to do some work together with cancer patients and healing and patient empowerment programs. I would welcome that. In fact, uh, you know, winding up a little bit here, but the uh, yeah. I, I was just this morning uh, conversing with some people who have been in attitudinal healing for quite a long time. And one of the original programs that uh, was largely with the, the uh, cancer patients, but grew into a, a larger program that later just with all the other programs kind of went by the wayside, but we're looking at the power of it and reinitiating it. And that's called, uh, my dad had something called the person to person program. And what he would do is largely using his own intuition is he, he would uh, put, bring two people together and uh, basically say, you know, here's the, some, the principles here's the, he gave him some guidance but he just kind of had uh, a gut sense that these two people would work well together and giving and receiving love and healing and all the what we've talked about today and it was very very powerful you know now let me just remind uh folks so uh uh my my uh, oh, so attitudinal healing is i think in 60 countries something like that now and uh you know, the, who knows how many thousands and thousands of, of people. Yeah. Now, uh, the my my father at the Centers for Attitudinal Healing never charged. So there's no, mm-hmm. was never any fee. There was not any, this is not a money-making endeavor. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, in the same way that he said everybody leave their uh degrees at the door it, it, it wasn't a place where people were coming uh uh you know to get jobs or do doing the other things it, it was to to heal themselves to learn to uh experience the beauty that that's uh within all of this now i'm not saying you know money's the root of all evil or anything like that it's fine but uh it, it's quite unique in our world today to have something as uh, rich and uh, amazingly useful as this that did not have the overlay of uh, being Money. commercial. Yeah. And, yeah. and interestingly, in some ways, that has also been the challenge because things are and are, you know, there was no internet or anything back then, you know. Yeah. And you know, things now are... are uh, it, yes, and you have costs. You, you have some infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very interesting. Well, I cannot thank you enough. You, I am. I'm thanking Judy for bringing us together. Who also, uh, I remember her writing an email. So, did she write to me, or did she? Were we on the phone? And she said, uh, "You need to connect with Lee. You, you need to. You need to meet Lee." <laughs> that was that. That's that person to person thing. So, so. There you go. Exactly. She did exactly precisely that. And was just, I want to tell you, you have a very special place in my heart. Oh, very special. Very, very special. Every time I think of you, I'm, I smile and my heart opens up and just complete direct communication, instant joining. And I cannot thank you enough for your generosity of spirit to to spend this time with me, to share 
from the heart, your experience with attitudinal healing, your experience with the Course in Miracles, uh, your experience leaving those principles in your life and your books, your many, many books that you've, you've wrote. Uh, and so I really am very, very grateful for all this time and all the love that you shared with us today. And thank you. Thank you. We will see each other again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And this concludes my interview with Dr. Lee Jampolsky. For more information on Lee's work, please visit his website at www.drleejampolsky.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, be well and take care of yourselves.